Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier, where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today, I'm joined by Domenica Dilietto. Domenica is CEO of specialist Chinese agency, Emerging Communications. Welcome to the show, Domenica. Lovely to be here, Mike, and thank you very much for having me on here. Well, it's great to talk to you, but I mean, to start off with, I'd really like to understand how you came to be, you know, an expert on marketing in China. So what was your career path to get where you've got to now? (laughs) Uh, Way too many years on the clock for one. So I started life in publishing. So for many years, I was in women's glossy magazines, newspapers, the Daily Mail group. And then late 1990s, I obviously saw this thing coming called the Internet. God, that makes me sound old. And I went and worked for a couple of clients and agencies that specialised in digital. And I was working across Seattle, New York and London. And I ended up getting quite fed up of that and launched my first agency, which I sold in 2011. And that was a front end development e-commerce agency. We were a supplier to the company that bought us. And then when I was looking for something to do, I randomly ended up being a commercial director for a Chinese agency for a year. So an interim job, really enjoyed the market, but felt that possibly it could be done better, putting clients at the heart of what we do and very much focusing on what do their customers want. So that should align what their marketing should be. And Emerging Communications was born about a year later. It's so sort of like 2015. So you were doing international marketing. Was there a reason you decided to jump into China or was it just the job opportunity? Well, I think for me, I get quite bored. I'd been in the UK digital market and the American market for quite a long time. And China just doesn't stop. You just about understand it and you understand the legislation and all the channels and then the following day it will change and I like that speed of change wrongly or rightly I I love the fact that I never quite know what I'm going to find in the morning <laughs> literally uh, so the whole changing landscape of the way consumers behave in China the legislation the government narrative just keeps me on my toes and I think I've just got the most incredible team of talented individuals so I'm kind of with China, I think, for the rest of my career, I would, I think it's fair to say. May not just do emerging comms, I might do other things, but China is fascinating. And people look to Silicon Valley for learning about digital and tech, and they should be looking at China because they're a good five, seven years ahead of, of everywhere in the world. And that really fascinates me. Yeah, That sounds really exciting. I'm also interested about something else you said. You said you wanted to put clients at the heart of the agency. So tell us a little bit about who you work with, who are your clients? Absolutely. So we do work with some B2C, but predominantly we are working in the B2B space, even if a client also operates in the B2C space. So we work with people like Penguin Random House, where we have worked to basically give them a voice amongst their consumers because all of the marketing they do is with distributors. So that's B2B. We work in the uh, pharma space, biotech space, so with a lot of consultancy firms. We work with a lot of chemistry clients, clients that target librarians, universities that target the research space. So I would say that in terms of the B2B space, 
most categories, but they all tend to have one thing in common, which is that they're all established in China with a distributor or an agent or a salesperson or a sales team. And they've, they've come across some kind of issues, which we'll talk about a little, little bit later on. So it's more the fact that they are operating B2B in China. So they are very much reliant on a human being to close a sale. We're not tending to deal with clients that are selling the end result online in the B2B uh, categories that we deal with. It is a human being that's actually closing that sale. And that's yeah. interesting. Is that something you've built expertise about or is that a deliberate choice not to go into e-commerce brands in China? We do do e-commerce brands in China in terms of marketing, but they tend to be B2C. Uh, so in the B2B space, it's more about how business is done in China. It's no different to here in as much that the decision making unit is quite complicated. But in China, that disjoint between what's going on in market versus what HQ wants, and that could be in the States, Europe or, or the UK, is where most of the problems lie. So a total reliance, for example, on your distributor in China to do your marketing, to do your brand, to do your sales and your marketing is one common problem. Or it might be you've got one or two salespeople who are alienated and lonely and misaligned with what's going on back at HQ. So I think that integration of often online and that integration with both western and chinese team is is our forte yes but ultimately everything we're doing is to make sure and ensure that the brands we work with are the brand of choice or the company of choice so that their sales increase and their conversion increases through their sales efforts so in other words we get the marketing right according to how customers want to engage with it and what they want to see and that sounds pretty obvious, and that's how marketing should work. But you'd be amazed at how many people try and shoehorn their American marketing with a bit of Chinese on it into China and hope it's going to work. And of course, it doesn't. So that leads me on to the obvious question. I mean, how different is it in China? I mean, obviously, some of the channels are different. You know, for example, social media in, in America or in Europe will be different to China. But I mean, how different is the approach? Is it completely different from a strategic point of view? Or is it more tactical differences? Both. Uh, so strategically, I would say that Guanxi and reliance on your network of people that you trust is very, very high in China, more so than here. And so no matter how much marketing you do, often online, if you don't take into account to nurture your top customers and make them your platinum customers and make them what we call KOCs, so key opinion customers, you're going to miss a trick. I think that it's been a very interesting time with COVID and COVID restrictions because, of course, B2B has always historically been run at very key exhibitions, events, press launches in China. And all of that moved online to webinars, podcasts effectively, but using Chinese software and platforms. Now there's a bit of a hybrid, but there's still a heavy reliance on that. So strategically, I would say it's more complicated because you've got to align your brand in China and your messaging and what you stand for and, and why you much more so with your headquarters, but make sure it's still relevant to your B2B customers. But from a tactical standpoint, there are a lot of differences. So not just the fact that social media channels are wildly different. There's a lot more of them across the board. So using online PR, for example, social media and search, you're using a completely different channel mix. And some will work and some won't. And there tends to be 
um, a sense of, oh, I'll just go straight and do some paid search to Manica and I'll do a little bit of online PR. And what we do and say to, to brands and customers is, firstly, we need to know who your customers are and where they hang out because the chances are they may not be searching on Baidu. It may well be another channel. They may not um, leverage or engage with certain online channels that you're looking to use. They're going to use others. So understanding who they are and where they hang out and, and how your competitors behave in your space is more complex. But once you know that, then everything kind of fits into place in terms of driving sales, the right sales and your conversion rates, which is what marketing is supposed to do, right? But there are, I'm struggling to think of a single channel we use here in the West that you've got in China now. Even LinkedIn is no longer accessible in China. So there is really nothing. No Instagram, no Facebook, no Twitter, no Google. So basically everything is just government owned, but a lot more sophisticated and a lot more one-on-one engagement. So that's a totally expected thing in China, much like one-to-one email used to be back in the 90s. It's expected that that prospect, you will talk to them as if it's just them. Um, And that's where WeChat, CRM and targeting through certain channels. And that's where it really comes into its own. But but you can't just broadcast your messaging in China. It won't work. So just expand a bit on what you mean by that one-to-one marketing. Are you talking about brands having to engage individually with people who respond? Is that what's expected? Yes. So I'd say... One of the first things to understand is I talk to so many huge global brands that have been in China for quite some time and they're, they're having problems with their with their marketing and their sales. And we'll find that they will do their normal eCRM marketing from something like Salesforce or HubSpot in China. And your B2B Chinese customers are not going to engage with you on email. It's just not a medium that's used. Everybody uses WeChat for their CRM. So when I say one-on-one, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, really understanding, because we're talking large customers here in complex B2B, high ticket value, you know, sales more often than not, because even if the individual sells tiny, they're buying in volume. And so that relationship tends to be done by a human being. And so that sort of integration between the sales team in China or salesperson, quite often it starts with one person, and what the actual marketing effort is and making that aligned with what's going on globally is absolutely critical. Because all too often what I see is poor, disparate, one or two salespeople in China being asked to do the marketing plan, the marketing strategy, marketing delivery, and drive their own leads. And they're salespeople. They should be good at converting sales. And so we make that very clear with the client, they're salespeople, and it's our job to drive them the right leads. And we talk to sales teams all the time. We engage them in our regular monthly catch-ups. They're the ones talking to the client, and they're the ones that are going to get the objections, and they're the ones that can tell us what's working, what isn't, what's converting, what isn't. And so it's just that integration piece is really, really key. And then the same when it comes to now, of course, we've got events and exhibitions and conferences now back in China after three years with hardly any. And just basic stuff like collecting WeChat data, not business cards, making sure everything's translated, including your sales schemes, making sure that you've got Mandarin speakers on the stand. Now, this sounds all really obvious, but you would be amazed and you only had to look at the news at the weekend to look at bmw to see how badly you can get it wrong so the whole the whole cultural nuances and understanding that so it's not i wouldn't say it's complicated i'd say it all comes down to one thing understand your chinese customers 
all of them in the stakeholder chain and understand how they behave and where they hang out, how they want to engage with you. And then you map your marketing accordingly. You don't do it the other way around. So it's interesting. I mean, you've kind of alluded to this issue of control and obviously trying to basically transplant an American or European campaign into China isn't going to work. But equally, trusting salespeople to drive marketing themselves when they're not marketing professionals is probably not a good idea either. So, I mean, how much control do you think brands should take when they're trying to grow their business in China? Oh, that's a really good question. I'm doing a webinar on this in a couple of weeks because it's probably the single biggest question I get asked. We've coined a phrase called globalization. And the reason that we've coined that phrase is that you need to localize your approach so that your Chinese B2B customers will engage with it. It's answering the pain points that they have and using the channels where they hang out. But you also need to be on brand because if you're not, you're not recognizable and you don't have the credibility and you can't build the credibility. China is a humongous country with over 3 billion consumers and lots of geographies. So it's a balance. It's like a seesaw. And what I say to brands is if that seesaw is is straight and you've got the balance about 50-50, that's about right. If you localize too much, then it becomes absolutely no alignment whatsoever with a global brand. And then you get what I call leaks in the bucket uh, or holes in the bucket rather than leaks. So you get things like your distributor or salespeople running your WeChat marketing and it doesn't even make sense. And it's too local. It's not only that it doesn't look right, it doesn't sound right, it doesn't sound like you. It's not saying the right thing or the literature is nonsensical and the list goes on. But if headquarters are controlling the brand, then all it will look like, and it's fine if you are a FTSE 100 company, everybody's heard of you, but most companies don't have sort of like bottomless pockets. So you do need it to be consistent, but for it to be localised. And we always localise at the very beginning of our campaigns and when we work with the client, we localise not just the typography, because of course it's Chinese characters, but the brand, the way it looks and feels, and also the narrative. So we have a very clear, approved comm strategy. And another thing to think about with a brand alignment is a crisis management plan. So if BMW had had one, I can guarantee their response would have been quicker and better. And so you can't stop salespeople or your representatives at say exhibitions events or PR stunts or what have you you can't control everybody but what you can do is if things obviously they get cultural training but if things go wrong you need to have a plan that can be actioned within minutes because things can go horribly wrong very quickly in China just because everybody takes to social media and there's a lot of people and so what might be a thousand comments here is millions in China. So, yeah, so you've got to have the balance right. So I say in an ideal world, brand control and marketing control should reside with the client and their specialist agency. But it should be a localised approach. And we've done work, for example, with IKEA, where I had to be the intermediary between the Russian global team and the Shanghaiese agency so that they could understand each other in terms of why did the creative look like that and why why was it localised in such a way. So it was actually really just so that the global team could understand the approach by the Shanghaiese agency, which was actually perfect. It was on brand yet localised, so globalised. So it's... It's a balancing act, but if you get the balancing act right, it's absolutely spot on. And the best way to find out is ask your customers, right? So that's my point. If you know what your customers want, it's pretty easy. Yeah. 
That sounds like great advice. I'm interested. I mean, a lot of um, you know people listening might be from the states, and certainly if you look at geopolitics, the relationship between the West yeah. and China is not at its best at the moment. I mean, how are Western brands, and particularly American brands, seen by Chinese customers, particularly in B two B? Is it still as big an opportunity? Is there still as much enthusiasm? Um, there's no doubt about it. There's there's a couple of major obstacles for the US right now, not just not just political ones, but also the time difference is substantial, depending on whether you're east or west coast. We tend to be the intermediaries for a lot of American companies because we can just about talk to China because our teams start late in China and start early in UK. And we've got a bit more, we've got a four hour overlap on an average eight hour time difference. So time difference is a problem. I think if you look at, if you know anything about Hofstede or any kind of cultural um, philosophy, there is an even bigger difference between American culture and China culture than European culture. So that's also a bit of a challenge. I spoke to not that long ago, an American brand, global American brand that's been really successful in Indonesia and Vietnam and other APAC regions. They were going into China and it's a franchise model. I'm not going to say who they are. And they were absolutely dead set that this franchise model would work in China. And I was like, it will not. You are not offering anything that isn't offered by local competitors in China. Nobody recognises your motif. I nearly gave it away then. Um, and the animal that is the representative in your logo. In fact, it has negative connotations culturally. You would have to localise but that isn't their model. So they've decided to go to other APAC regions. So I think for America, yes, there is the political tensions, but there is still plenty of opportunity in China. And depending on what categories they operate in, obviously you deal with a lot of B2B tech, engineering, tech, pharma, bioscience, biomedical science, chemistry. These areas are huge in China and has, have actually not been impacted by COVID. And some of our clients have grown substantially throughout COVID because actually there was more demand for what they do. So I'd say that so as long as you get the cultural side right, you understand your customers, you work with a specialist agency, there's no reason why American brands can't be successful. I'm not suggesting for one second that the strap lines and the creative and copy that we come up with focuses on where they're actually from. That might not be a terribly good idea, but if they have a better product or service than their competitors, you're still going to be successful in China. So there's enough demand, basically. So that, that, that sounds really positive. I mean, one of the things I'm interested in is if, if a brand is looking to enter China, you talked about having kind of a sequence. So people would initially put sales teams in or a couple of salespeople before they, they bring in marketing. I mean, what is the most effective way to, to enter and grow in China? Oh, that's a million dollar question, which depends on the category that you're in, your budget and your attitude to risk. But I'm a real believer in you see your China journey a bit like a staircase. And if you're getting to the top of the staircase, you don't try and fly from the bottom step to the top step. You have to learn as you go, learn, invest, learn, invest and mitigate your risk. You certainly, depending on what category you're in, need somebody in market. We do have brands who don't have anybody and we are their customer service team and we support on the ground in events. And our largest client's only got one person in market that has eight people in the APAC region that also support at large events. And we support them a lot on the ground as well as strategy and, and, and marketing. But the reason I say you've got to have some foothold is you're selling something, correct? So if it's consultancy 
or if it's a product and you are on e-commerce platforms like Taobao, for example, JD, you've still got to have one person on the ground for customer service or one person on the ground that's going to talk to your key platinum customers. And how a lot of brands start is they will choose a distributor dependent on if that's their model or they will uh, have a salesperson and they'll use some kind of launch pad like the China Business British Council who are fantastic and they'll work from their launch pad with that one person. They'll pay them from the CBBC. They'll go to exhibitions and events and they kind of grow from there. But we do have a lot of clients whose HQ in APAC is in Hong Kong or Singapore and actually latterly Bangkok. A lot of expats left Shanghai during COVID and went to Bangkok. And it also works if you have got somebody in the APAC region. It's not quite as good because they have to fly in and out of events and exhibitions. But you do kind of need somebody, uh, even though we can support that one person. But you've got to make sure your products and services can actually get to the right people. So most people start with a distributor, to be honest. That makes a lot of sense. I guess that's not dissimilar to other countries um, entering with a distributor. Yeah. Yeah, very similar. So if you're going to give advice to people who are looking to to grow their business in China, I mean, what do you think would be the, the one bit of advice people should really listen to to avoid making those big mistakes? I think there's a lot of assumption with global brands that your brand or your product is going to be the right thing for the China market. So firstly, don't assume anything. You need objective advice. So I would say you need to be looking at who your competitors are in the China market. There'll be some global, some local. And can you compete in that space? What do you offer that they don't? What is your differentiator, your competitor advantage? That's the single biggest thing. And make sure that that's in the eyes of the consumer, the customer. And there will be many different types of customer in the B2B decision-making unit. So don't assume that you're what I call your USP is what your customers think your USP is. So make sure that you've you've done your competitive research and your customer research. If you've done that and you know what your competitive advantage is and you know you can compete and you've got a better product and that there is a market there and none of this needs to cost a fortune. We do this with brands quite inexpensively, but enough to know how we're going to market that brand. And obviously the other thing you need to think about is how you're distributing your product or your service, which is your operations bit which is why most people use a distributor, then it's just a question of, of us mapping out what marketing is going to engage, entice and sell to your customers that you've selected according to where they hang out. So, for example, Chinese search engine, largest search engine is Baidu. There are a few others, but it's still got the, the lion's share of the market. If there's no demand on Baidu Index for your brand or for your type of product, I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start with something else. I might start with online PR. I might start with uh, some B2B influencers in vertical sectors on certain channels. So it's about really understanding your market, the opportunity there and your customers. Once you've done that, and we we won't touch a, a brand that we haven't done that because otherwise what we're doing is noise and China is huge and we get fantastic results and we get those results because we know that what we are saying and where we are saying it is going to engage with their customers and they're going to buy. Otherwise, it's it's pointless. It's just basically throwing money at the problem and I don't believe in doing that. I believe that it should get a return, everything you do. And on that note, just really quickly about tracking is don't listen to anybody who says you can't track things in China. 
they'll have heard a lot of horror stories about clickbait, you know, all the, and there are so many agencies that just fabricate results. And we can look at it and within two minutes tell a client that is not real people engaging. That is that is that's AI technologies. It's very easy to spot. So you can track everything and you should track everything and we do track everything. So don't be for one second missled into thinking that's not true. So you can track it probably far better, actually, than any other market I've ever worked in. I think that's great advice. I love that that real thought through process as well in terms of going into the market and, and focusing your money where it's going to generate a return. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we've got an eight C's model that we follow in exact order of what you do first. And customers are right at the top before we even look at competitors. It's like literally your customers, your competitors, you know, your competitive advantage, your comms, and just do it in the right order. And it's a bit like a tick box exercise. Uh, as much as market researchers would hate that, and there is quite and quant involved, but there is a process. And once you do it like that, then you'll get return. But if you go straight to the channels and activate channels, you don't know what channels you're activating. You don't know what you're saying because you don't know what your customers want to hear. <laughs> uh, so it's the wrong way around. Yeah. That's great advice. I, I, I've really enjoyed talking about China. There's a couple of questions we like to ask sort of more general questions of our guests. And, you know, I, I'm interested. You, you're obviously really excited about marketing, particularly about marketing in China. What would your advice be if you um, met someone, a young person who was thinking of starting a career in marketing? I would my biggest advice to anybody who wants to get into marketing is to study business first. So too often the marketers I meet fresh out of university have done a marketing degree and a marketing postgrad, no practical experience. They focus so much on delivery of marketing tactics that they don't focus on what the business problem is. And you need to at least, at the very least, understand how business is structured, how PL is structured, and how the board is structured. I think that's really important. And there are also so many jobs in marketing. You know, are you a creative person? Are you an analytical person? Are you really good at writing? That people just lump it together as marketing. And they're very, very different roles. And they're going to be very different roles again in five, 10 years time, you know, AI technology and drone technology. And um, so I think that be sure that marketing is the right thing is number one and which side of marketing, but really do understand the business context because it will make you a very good marketer. I love that. That's, that's really thoughtful. Um, the other question we always ask is, what's the best bit of marketing advice you've ever been given? I would say, and it's not just for marketing, it's just across the board, is mistakes are good. We really celebrate them at Emerging Comms every Monday in our speech because every time we make a mistake and we're very open with clients as well it might be that we've leveraged a channel that hasn't quite gone as according to plan or maybe one of their sales teams says something they shouldn't if everything is a learning thing you don't do it twice then it's going to benefit the brand it's going to benefit the relationship and it's going to benefit the results to not make mistakes in my opinion means you're not moving forward especially in China so I would say making mistakes need to be celebrated within reason. <laughs> I think somebody told me that a couple of years ago, and I always used to feel awful if things went wrong. But now I'm very much, do you know what? What did we learn from that? How can we make sure we don't do it again? And I think, yeah, I think China's got a different context. And I would say the best advice I can give to anybody doing business in China is work with an expert. Don't work with somebody who did 
Chinese A-level work with Chinese nationals. Uh, and basically, you've got to understand the cultural context at all times when you're doing business in China, whether that is negotiation, supplier relationships or talking to your customers. So work with people that understand that. That's fantastic advice. Thank you so much for your time on the podcast. It's been really fascinating. I'm sure people would want to learn more about China and about how you can help them in China. What's the best way for listeners to get in contact with you? I'm very active on LinkedIn, so Domenica Dilietto, or feel free to email me, domenica at emergingcoms.com. If you Google Domenica Dilietto, you'll also find me through many different channels. <laughs> I would say I wouldn't ring my mobile. I tend to have 60 calls a day, so I tend to switch it off. If you email me, it will get picked up, or you send a message through LinkedIn. I go through my messages every day. I will get back to you straight away. But if you call, you might be waiting some time while I work out if it's a cold call or not, because I get rather a lot of them. Well, that's fantastic. And very kind for you to give your email address out. Thank you so much for all your insight, Dominica. I really appreciate it. A pleasure, Mike. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.